We've been talking about the idea of what would, what did Jesus do when it comes to uh, the idea of serving him, a lot of what Lewis was talking about, living out praise before uh, God in this world. What did Jesus do? When we talk about being a Christian, when we talk about living the life of a believer in this world today, it's so easy to fit into the world, and it, but it's much more difficult to live outside of the world while in the world. So we've been looking, about the, looking at the things that Jesus did in his ministry and in his life that caused him to be effective in ministry. Things that he did to lay an, lay an example down for us as followers of his so that we would know how we should live in the world to be effective in the world. Now, we've talked about a lot of different things that Jesus did. Talked about relationships among others and how we are to receive other people. Today, I'm going to be wrapping this series of what did Jesus do up with the final message of what did Jesus do? Jesus built relationships. Jesus built relationships. The local church that Jesus established, I believe, is the ultimate social science experiment. It's the ultimate social science experiment. By its very nature and purpose, the church has the potential to be the most diverse body ever assembled. By its very nature and by the potential of the call of Jesus and the sacrifice and death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, his death for all mankind. The local church has the potential to be the most diverse, creative, amazing group of people ever assembled. The personalities, the talents, the creativity, the brain power that can come together in a church are amazing. I want to get that back door. People from every walk of life, every ethnicity, every field of work and study, every financial and social strata are welcome to become part of a church. Think about that. I mean, you look around here. Uh, how many of you, uh, this might not be a, this might be something from back in my generation. How many of you grew up and never really left your hometown until you, like, got your driver's license? You spent your entire life within the, bond, the, the confines of the the boundaries of your town, right? And you thought it was a big deal to ride up to the, do to the, to the local five and dime store. Boy, that dates me, doesn't it? The local, uh, local convenience store. I'm sorry. To get, your, uh, to get your, it wasn't penny candy anymore, your nickel candy, right? Um, so when it comes to being a local church, uh, or when it comes to going to school and on all these things, many people grew up within their one town, and all the people they knew were from that same town. When you come to a church situation, man, Jesus died for everybody, and there's no boundaries. You can, you can cross boundaries, and you can cross lines, and you can cross uh, ethnic whatever, uh, ethnic uh, divisions and, and social divisions and financial strategies. You can cross all of that to be part of a church. So the church literally can draw from the pool of humanity. And everybody that comes into the church brings with them their special giftings and talents. So the church, if we would, if we would not put boundaries and would not put uh, restrictions on ourselves as a church, has the potential to be the most creative, effective, amazingly diverse body and organization in the world. 
when this happens and when people are unified in purpose and allowed the freedom to do their thing in ministry, if you will, if it is lived out properly, the local church has the greatest potential for change in lives, communities, and nations. Our nation is gearing up for another election, right? We've got, we're a little over a year away from another presidential election. And everybody wants change, and everybody wants some, half the people want change, half the people want things stay to, stay, to stay the same. And Christians are weighing in. This is the only hope for, listen, man, the only hope for our nation is Jesus Christ. That's the hope of our nation. It doesn't matter who gets elected to what. It doesn't matter who the dog catcher is in your town. What matters is if there's a group of people who love Jesus enough to come together, live out their faith, and speak to others about Jesus Christ and be a witness in a world that needs it. We have the greatest potential for change within these four walls. Yet it is also fraught through and through with potential division, misunderstandings, dysfunction, and fighting. So it also has the greatest potential for destruction. Think about that. Within the same body of believers, we have the greatest potential for change, the greatest potential to reach people with the gospel, yet we also have the greatest potential for disaster in people's lives. We all know it. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. We all know this, right? How many of you have somebody in your life, a believer, a believer friend who will not step back into a church because of the way they were treated? We all do. We all know people like that. We all know churches. Some of you may say, I would never go back to that church because of the way they treated me. Right? That's just honesty. In the James said it best. He said, out of the same spring comes forth sweet water and bitter water. These things should not be. That's not the way the church is supposed to be, folks. The church isn't supposed to be a place of division. It's supposed to be a place of creativity a place of love, a place of unity, a place of purpose. Jesus understood that. And that's why Jesus came down to earth and lived among us so he could show us a better way to live. You see, we see through human eyes and we see the way people are. We see the way people um, cut their hair. I use that because, you know, I've been told that I need to go to a lower grade turtle wax. Right? Because apparently the sheen coming off the dome is a little high. But that's okay. I come by it honestly. But we can be divided over silly stuff in our lives. But all that is is division. When it comes to a church, we must remember what the purpose is and what the focus of our collection here together is. We come here for the purpose of worshiping Jesus Christ and spreading his message to the world. Nothing else. No building, growing, or operating a local church must be done intentionally and purposefully. So, so building, a, building, growing, and, and operating a local church must be done intentionally and purposefully. Because the people of a church can come together, can lay aside their differences and egos, and commit to working together for a cause greater than themselves, then they have the potential to make changes that matter, eternal changes. We have the potential within our church to make eternal changes for our community. That is the hope of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 16, 
verse 18, Jesus says this, And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Now, some take that, the Catholic Church has taken that and said that that is speaking about Peter being the first pope and, the, and that Jesus is building the church on Peter. But you have to go into the Greek and understand that there are two different words used in that verse. The word for Peter, there is the word that means little pebble. And the word rock that he uses means big boulder. So what he was saying is, Peter, you're a chip off the old block. You're, you're, a, you're a chip off the stone. On this rock, on me, the rock of Jesus Christ, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. Folks, that is the promise of our church. Do you understand that? That is the promise of the church of Jesus Christ. If we will get ourselves together, if we will be in unity, if we will be able to look beyond the divisions and the struggles and the strife, if we'll be able to look beyond the, the things we don't like about each other and see Jesus and see his power and see his authority and see his mission and get involved with it and get on board with it, nothing will stop the church. Well, you know, the laws and this. And, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You're talking about my Jesus. Nothing will stop him. Nothing will stop the church. It doesn't matter. The place of greatest growth of the church, greatest expansion of the church right now is in the nation of China, which is an atheistic, communistic nation that doesn't allow the freedom of worship. Yet at one point, 30,000 Chinese people a day were coming to know Jesus Christ as their savior. All because a group of people decided they wanted to go in and take the gospel to the back uh, portions of China. And they started doing backpack initiatives, hiking back into the parts of China that were untouched. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. That phrase literally means that nothing, Satan and his realm included, will ever be able to surpass the church in power and strength. Nothing, nothing, not even Satan will be able to surpass the power of the church. The church is not only strong because of its people, the church is strong because of its source, Jesus Christ. Understand, the church is not limited. The church is not limited to your abilities and your potential. Because the source of the church, the source of the power of the church is not you. The source of power of the church is Jesus Christ. And the things he wants to do through you, the things he is able to do through you, far exceed what you could ever ask or think or imagine. Nothing can stand up to or defeat the church if the church is fulfilling its God-given mission in God's way. And that's the key, doing things the way Jesus modeled for us. If we're going to move forward in the mission of Jesus, then we must be willing to not just get involved, we must also be able to get along with others. This is where we're bringing this now. All of this great potential, all of this amazing potential of the church is wonderful, but it's limited in us by our ability to get along. Look, man, you want to know, <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. All right? You want to know what holds back the church in the western Massachusetts area? The church. The church. Seriously. Seriously. I preached a message a few weeks ago. You can, see, you can hear it on our podcast. You can see it on Facebook about racial division in our area. It's real. It's real. If you look around here, we are, we are one of the most diver, racially diverse churches 
in the area. We have a lot of different ethnicities represented in this church, and everybody's welcome here. I mean that. Everybody's welcome here, but not everybody feels like they're welcome in our town. That has to change. We have the power to change that. Do you realize that? We have the power. We don't need to move out. We don't need to move to Springfield. We need to knock down the walls of East Long Meadow and say, hey, knuckleheads, stop pulling these people over when they drive into our town. Leave them alone. They're coming to worship Jesus. I had a meeting with the, the uh, I, I went over with Melvin to the, the uh, we had some business over at the, um, the police station this week. I introduced Melvin to our chief of police. Melvin's one of, our, uh, one of Springfield City Councilors. And I, I loved it, man. I said, hey, chief, this is Melvin Edwards, he's a city councilor from Springfield. And, he, and, then, and, and, and the chief of police started talking to me, and he heard what we were doing here, and he says, would you send me a link to your church? Because I want to see what's going on and see what we can do to help you out. I am not intimidated by the police force, okay? Not that I need to be, but I am a Puerto Rican living in East Long Meadow, so maybe I should. I want them on board with us, man. I want them on board. I want to know, I want them to know that East Long Meadow is here, I mean, that the New Life Church is here in East Long Meadow to help. We're here to do something in this community. We're here to reach people with the gospel, but we're here to do it in a way that, that, that gets the town unified so that they will see us in a positive way, not in a negative way. In order for that to happen, in order for all these big plans, all these big thoughts to take place inside these walls, we have to learn to get along. We have to learn to get along. We have to learn to befriend each other and see beyond our differences and see beyond our struggles. I love football season, right? We've got people that wear all kinds of, all kinds of different jerseys and different shirts, and you're all wrong, but that's okay, right? It's okay. And everybody, every, yeah, we even have a Sea Chickens fan. Um, <laughs> It's amazing. Go figure. But seriously, we can go beyond our differences, even in football teams, right? To reach the community with Jesus Christ. Of all places for unity, it should be in the place where people gather to worship the one, for the, to worship the one who died for our sins. Listen, the cause of Jesus Christ is the greatest cause you'll ever face in your life. It's the greatest cause you'll ever get on board with in your life. And no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how you see life, no matter how you see people, you need to see beyond those problems and those differences and those issues and see that that is an individual for whom Jesus Christ died. And they need him. In order for that to happen, we've got to get along in here. We've got to be able to get along in here. Understand this, a church will fail or, or succeed because of people. Your building can be beautiful, your message can be doctrinally sound, and your ministries can be on point. But if your people are unfriendly, unwelcoming, and uncaring about relationships, then your church will fail. Point blank. You can pour a lot of money into a church ministry. But if your people aren't on board, and if the people of the church don't care about others and don't care about getting along and don't care about incorporating the principles of love and friendship with those within the walls of their church, then your church is going to fail. Point blank and period. Jesus knew that the success of his ministry depended on people. So he took care to make sure that he built relationships intentionally. This morning I want to look at three principles that Jesus applied to his relationships 
that caused them to be functional and successful. The first one is this, and this I think is one of the biggest struggles, but one of the greatest um, principles that we can have in our lives as we seek to work together and as we seek to build ministries, as we seek to, to get involved in things. Jesus looked for value in people. Jesus looked for value in people. We many times are stopped by our sight, right? We see somebody and we make a judgment based on what we see, what they're wearing, how they look, how, how their hair is, uh, the color of their skin. We make judgments based on sight. And because of our sight judgment, it clouds our regular judgment. And we no longer see beyond the facade or the covering of the person, we stop right there. What Jesus did was went beyond the outside and looked at the heart. He looked for value in individuals. It didn't matter who they were. It didn't, Jesus, remember, Jesus healed a, a man who was lame in his legs from birth. He gave him strength back into his legs and said, now go tell people what happened. So Jesus found value in a man who society found no value in whatsoever. People wouldn't even give this guy a penny. He had to beg for a living, yet Jesus found value in him. Jesus found value in people. Chris Jamie said, good works is giving to the poor and the helpless, but divine works is showing them the worth, their worth to the one who matters. We can satisfy our inner desire to do good by buying people off or by buying, trying to buy God off. Or we can truly get involved in people's lives and see the value that they have in eternity by looking at them as a human being for whom Jesus Christ died. Jesus wasn't concerned about opinions or reputations. Jesus was interested in the value of a life, however small or insignificant it seemed to others. Remember, Jesus is the one who looked at the disciples and said, hey, let the little children come to me. Let the little children come to me. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. Jesus also said in Matthew 10, verse 42, whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. Sometimes we categorize people according to talents and abilities. And we look at people and we raise them up. That's what's happening in, in Christianity lately. We're, we're, uh, and, and I think the, the lead singer of Skillet did an interview. And he did, made such a great point that we as a church are looking to, you know, 22, 23-year-old songwriters for our, uh, our doctrine and our inspiration when what you really need to do is what the Bible says to do. Look to those who are older in the faith and get your wisdom and understanding from them. Because I'll be honest with you, a 22, 23-year-old hasn't lived enough life yet. Really haven't. I'm sorry if that offends you, but it's true. Hey, sit down and talk with some of these dudes that are, in, that are, that are older and see how they've lived life, see what they've gone through in life, how they've hand, handled and, and how they've applied their faith. And we, we look at them because they have abilities, they have talents that we don't have. And they can play instruments and they can sing and they can do all this. Jesus said, that's wonderful, that's their gifting. But you know what? Anyone who has the gift of 
being helpful to others. The gift of bringing a, just a cup of cold water to a thirsty person. And that person's, that person's work is blessed, just like anybody else's. I don't divide among abilities or talents. All I want is a willing heart. Jesus saw value in people no matter how small we would think it would be. Romans 12 verse 10 says, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. This is something we talked about Wednesday night in our Bible study. The last phrase, outdo one another in showing honor. When was the last time, let's talk about that for a second. When was the last time you saw that lived out in church? Where Paul says, listen folks, outdo one another in being honorable and being courteous and being polite and being helpful and being loving and being compassionate. Compete with each other. <laughs> Outdo one another in, in showing these things. What if, what if the church of Jesus Christ, what if New Life Church, that was our hallmark? That we were the most loving, compassionate, caring, inclusive, energetic, encouraging church that you could find anywhere in the world. Man, we'd be, we'd be doing what Jesus did. Jesus encouraged everybody. It didn't matter what you did. It didn't matter how small people thought your contribution was. It was vitally important. Vitally important. You think of the things we do around here, we, the, the things that, that go on in, in ministry around here, things that people don't see, people that show up during the week and, and do things throughout the church that nobody sees. Yet it's so important that these things are done so that on Sunday when our guests come to dinner, we are presenting the best of new life to them. That's, that's as important as somebody getting up here and sharing what God has given them for the week. We must understand that there is value in everybody. Too often, too quickly, we cast people aside uh, because we classify them according to what they've done. Well, do you know his past? You know where, where they're from? Well, you ever had somebody say this? Well, just look at them, right? You ever had somebody say that to you? Well, just look at them. Come on, look at them. What, what are you thinking? What I'm thinking is that's somebody who has value in the eyes of Jesus Christ. And that's somebody who, who God has called to do something with their life. That is a life that God gave breath to that he wants to use to help build his kingdom. That's what I see. We need to see value in everybody. Jesus did. Jesus understood the value of a life. You know why? In 1 Corinthians 6, 20, says, for you were bought with a price. Jesus understood. The, Jesus knew what length he went to to get you to become part of his family. You were bought with a price. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He paid the price that you couldn't pay. He saw the value of a life. He understood that he, need to, he needed to go beyond what anybody else could do so that we would be able to have fellowship with him and be reunited with our creator. Jesus saw the value of a life. Every single person has value 
because Jesus died for them. Every person has value because Jesus died for them. Your denomination doesn't matter to God. Do you realize that? Your denomination does not matter to God. The version of the Bible you use, that doesn't matter to God. He sent his son to die for you. He sent his son to die for every human being. Therefore, church, we must realize that every human being that we come into contact with and everyone that walks in these doors has value. Everybody brings something to the table here at New Life. Everybody has value. Everybody can do something. Well, I, how about this one? Well, I really think they fit in over here. Okay, Holy Spirit, right? Who are you to tell somebody else what they should be doing? Who are you to tell somebody else what their calling is? Well, I had a vision from God. Well, maybe you ate too much pizza. I don't know. <laughs> because that is not your job. You know what? It's not my job. Now, I can see people, and I can, I can see where people have interests, and I can see where people might fit in. But I have people tell me, no, you know, that's just, that's just not my wheelhouse. Well, I read you wrong. That happens all the time. I want people to be connected to where they are most comfortable in their giftings with Jesus Christ, from Jesus Christ, and where they can be the most effective. That's what it's all about. I don't want to put diesel in a gas engine. That'd be a bad thing, right? Dwayne? Yes. You want people to, to fit in where they fit in. You want them to be connected where, how they should be connected. We must find value in everybody. Jesus dared, Jesus dared us to find our value in him. In Matthew 6, verses 25 through 29, he says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow, sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his life spanned by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how, how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't heart, they don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. We need to find our value in Jesus. And Jesus challenged us to find our value in him. Michael asked me a question that I'm still battling with today. He asked me a question a couple days ago. And I'm trying to figure out where he's coming from with it. I don't know if a kid said something to him at school. Um, and I'm telling you, true, it's a tough one to deal with, man. He said, Daddy, when you and Mommy adopted us, did you have to pay money? Like, what does somebody say? You know, what I'm, you know what I mean? What does somebody say to this boy? Now, that, that may not mean anything to you, but wow, that's pretty deep. That's pretty deep. That means there's something in my eight-year-old son's heart right now that he's battling with. What is my value? What do I mean? What is the value of my life? And I'm kind of tiptoeing around it, and I'm going to come back to it as, as God allows the time to open up.
because somebody clearly has said something and Michael is thinking something and I, I want to make sure that I answer this properly and correctly because I want my boy to know it has nothing to do. Listen, if I had to pay, if, if, if I had to, I don't know. There's no price I could put on my boy's life. I can't imagine life without Gabriel and Michael. I can't imagine life without my three oldest, Jody, Zach, and Ray. But I can't imagine life without Gabriel and Michael. They came to us a different way, but there's no price. Yet this little boy is needing to find out what his value is to his daddy and to his mommy. That's a deep question. You know, that's a question that each one of you struggle with, right? What is my value? I know my past. I know who I am. I know where I came from. And I really don't have much to bring to Jesus. Oh, you're so wrong. You're so wrong. I, I can't wait to share with my boy how much I love him and how, how beyond value he is to me. And if I could ever put that into words where my son could understand it, it would just be the tip of the iceberg of the way God feels about me. Because he sent his son Jesus to die for me. He loves me that much. He loves you that much. The value that you have in the eyes of Jesus Christ goes beyond rubies. He said, listen, those little birds that sit on a, a branch, I didn't die for them. Yet I feed them every day. I take care of them. And when one falls from a branch and dies, I know about it because I care about them. Listen, the lilies of the field, those, those daylilies that bloom one time, I cared so much about them that when they bloom, they are amazingly beautiful. Now, if I care so much about that, something that I didn't die for, how much value do you have to me? Listen, those of you who are sitting here thinking I have no value in the eyes of God, I, I, I have no value for this church, I'm, I'm lucky just to be here. Oh, you're so wrong. You're so wrong. You have no idea, and you need to begin to find the value you have in the eyes of Jesus Christ. He loved you enough to die for you. Yes, we give praise back to him. True praise comes from a heart of thankfulness, a heart of gratefulness, a heart that can't say, I love you enough for what you've done for me because you not only died for me, but I, and I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful to God. Not only did Jesus die for me, but he found value in me. He said, you're worth something, John. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, no matter what the mistakes you've made, you have value and I want to use you in this life. Second thing that Jesus did, Jesus didn't just find value in people, he invested in people. Jesus invested in people. So when people come into our church and we see value in them and we, we see them as people for whom Christ died and people who fit in and people who have a place here, now we must invest in them. Jesus wasn't interested in coaching his followers through life. He wanted to transform the way they saw and lived life. For Jesus, the transformation required sacrifice. So for us, as we see people, as we see value in them, and then as we see them, that people that need our investment, we must understand that that investment must require sacrifice 
from us. It's got to require something from us. Colossians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, if we're going to properly invest in people for the cause of Jesus Christ, we must now see this life we have as a life for him. And everything we do in life, whether you work, whether you take care of children at home, which is a very difficult job, no matter what it is you do in life, you do for the glory of God. No matter what you do in church, you do it for the glory of God. The life you live now is not your own. The life you live now is a life committed to the purpose of Jesus Christ, whatever that is, wherever you fit in, whatever it is he's called you to do and whatever, he, whatever it is he wants you to do. I'm doing it for the cause of Jesus Christ. Therefore, when I see people who I see value in because Christ died for them and now they've come to my church and I'm going to invest in them, I'm going to invest in them for the cause of Christ. Not so that I can have a buddy to go fishing with. I'm going to invest in them for the cause of Christ because the more I give to them of what God has given to me, the greater they're going to grow in their faith and the more profitable they're going to be for the kingdom. And now my church is going to grow and blossom and people are going to be reached for the cause of Jesus Christ. You see, that's what investing in people in a church is all about. <clears throat> Excuse me. John 4, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. We're just passing the faith along, passing it along to others so that they find what you have. And now the joy you experience, the excitement and energy you experience when you serve and minister and get involved and give and grow and everything that happens in your Christian life you can let other people experience that because you are investing in them. That's what it's all about, investing in others. He did this by investing in people in their lives. Investing in people means to give something of yourself, time, emotions, love, finances, wisdom to another person with the hope that there will be a return on that investment. How did Jesus invest in others? First thing I see is Jesus valued common ground over divisive rhetoric. Jesus found common ground with people over divisive rhetoric. It's not about what divides us, it's about what unifies us, what brings us together. That's what matters. And in church, if there's only, if there's only one thing we can find in church that brings us together, it should be that we are, we are people for whom Jesus Christ died. I keep coming back to that because that is the focal point. We are the people for whom Jesus Christ died. That should be something that, that brings us together. He told fishermen that they would continue fishing but for a different catch. He told farmers that they would continue farming, but with different seed. He told soldiers they would continue to serve, but for a different leader. Second thing he did, he traded tradition for transparency. Jesus literally let people look behind the curtain to reveal his plan. He literally let his people, let his followers in on his plan. Jesus gave love and understanding where others gave judgment because he knew that people responded better to compassion than they do to hate. Did you know that? People respond better to compassion than they do to hate. Something we need to understand and practice. Jesus invested time as well as talk. Jesus didn't just sit around having Bible studies. 
Jesus went in, out, and got busy. Remember when his parents found him in the temple at the age of 12? What was his answer? (laughs) Where else would you find me? I got to be about my father's business. There's work to do. There's work to do. Jesus invested wisdom instead of opinion. Wouldn't that be great? And Jesus taught biblical principles instead of life skills. We've become that as, uh, in the church today. Go, in, go into a Christian bookstore, and you'll find a whole section on self-help. I got your self-help right here. Right here. Got your self-help. It's a self-help section. Put the principles of the word of God to work in your life, and you'll find your answers, I promise you. Want to know how to raise your children in today's day and age? The same principles that my mom and dad used to raise me back in the 60s are the same principles that will work with your kids today. I promise you that. You know how I know that? Because I went and watched my 35-year-old son play softball on Friday, and I saw a man of integrity and character, a man of encouragement, playing softball with one of our brothers, Lewis, over there. And I saw, I saw them encouraging the other men. I saw my, my son, who uh, uh, they, they took out and they substituted out. And the coach said, you know, I, I don't want you to be upset. He's like, dude, I'm just having a good time. Didn't throw a fit. Wasn't a prima donna. Raised with character and integrity. You do what's best for the team. Those are the principles I was raised with. Now I'm seeing my two eight-year-old boys learning those same hard lessons. Same hard lessons. But it works. All those come from the Bible because that's what my parents raised me with and that's what they taught me. You don't need to watch a YouTube video on how to raise children. Okay? You don't need to listen to a 22-year-old tell you how to raise children because they're like, (laughs) they're a kid themselves for crying out loud. Sit down with some of the, some of the more advanced uh, people in life and ask them, how'd you raise your kids? How'd you keep your kid out of trouble? I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Because some kids are just going to have to make mistakes on their own. But I was the one to be there to kick them when they were down. <laughs> How could you do something so stupid? Right? You don't say that to your kid, but close. Close. Don't ever do that again. You run out in front of that car and it runs you over, I'll kill you. (laughs) I'll bring you back to life. The word of God will teach you what you need to know. Lastly, not only did uh, Jesus look for value in people, And Jesus invest in people, but Jesus trusted people. And this is a tough one today because we live in a day and age where it's difficult to trust people. It's difficult to give trust because everybody's working an angle. Everybody's got a scam. You got your your phone now and a phone call comes up from a telemarketer. On ours, it's set that it says scam likely. Well, guess what? I'm not answering that one. Oh, you mean, you mean the, the prince of Nigeria needs $5,000 and he'll give me a royal title? 
Okay, I'm all over that. Jesus trusted people. Now just think about what he was doing. The creator of all things, the one and only sacrifice that could pay the price for all sins forever, came down to earth, lived among us, taught for three years, and then died on the cross and paid the price for the sins of all humanity. The Bible says one sacrifice for sins forever. He did all this, okay? He accomplished the purpose. Then what did he do? He went away. He went away. He went back to heaven. You know what he did? He trusted people. He trusted people to take his message to the world. I don't know about you, but I might not be the first person I'd trust with that job. And if I was going to make such an enormous sacrifice of self, the most important message ever given to humanity, that would be a difficult one to trust to fall in creation. Yet Jesus did. And in doing so, he taught us an amazing lesson in getting along and building relationships. And that means in relationships, in churches, in ministry, we must learn to trust people. We have to. We have to. Jesus did. Jesus is trusting us to reach the East Longmeadow Springfield metropolitan area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's trusting us to live lives based on the principles of his word that shine the light of his love and grace and forgiveness to people, some who have never heard it before. He's trusting us with that. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus trusted us with his message. The lesson we learn is that when we come together as a church, we've got to trust each other. We've got to trust each other that everybody has value. Everybody needs to be invested in and everybody needs to invest in somebody else. And we must trust each other to work together and get the job done. No one person can do it on their own. As, as we move forward, and if you're new here, our church has just kind of grown quite a bit over the last two years. It's just kind of exploded, and, and it's been exciting, but it's been a real challenge for me and for Zach, our assistant pastor, because for a long time, it, it all laid on us. And now, as we're growing, man, we have some of the most competent, amazingly gifted and talented people in this church you'll ever meet in your life for the cause of Christ. We are just barely tapping the... the the tip of what the potential is in this church. For me, I work directly with the deacons, and it's been a challenge letting go of things and letting 
responsibility go and you ask them. It's, it's been a challenge for me. Uh, not because I don't want to, but because for 15, 16 years, and Tiffany can attest to this with Zach, for 15, 16 years, we've had to be the ones that are, that are, that are doing it. And that's why Zach and I have such a, a strong bond. It's not just because he's my son. It's because we've worked together in ministry for two decades, and I can trust him and he can trust me. But I've realized that if this church is going to continue to grow, I have got to find people that I can trust and then trust them. I trust this man, Cliff Nurse, implicitly. Cliff has been through the hard times with us. Him and his wife have stayed and been through the hard times. They served my father faithfully while he was the pastor, him and my mom. Sir, they were, they were stalwarts in my parents' ministry for years. Now here they are. I'd be a fool not to trust them. I'd be a fool. I've known Lewis for a week or two, man. We've worked out at a gym for eight or nine years together, on and off. When Zach came to me and said, hey, I'd like to have Lewis come up, I was like, I can trust Lewis. I can trust him to, to give his heart to this project. You see, if I'm going to be effective as a leader, I've got to trust other people to do the work that they've been gifted to and called to do. I just have to do it. Or we're never going to grow beyond anything more than a small, small congregation. But man, when we learn to trust others and we learn to allow them to use their God-given gifts and talents and we allow them to use the creativity that the creator has placed within their heart to reach people for the cause of Christ, oh man, the things that can happen, the things that will bloom, the things that will blossom, the great amazing things that God will do, we can't even imagine what those are. We've got to learn to trust people. You can't do everything in life, nor were you intended to do everything alone. If you're going to have an impact on this world for Jesus, then you have to be able to trust other brothers and sisters in Christ to help you get the job done. We cannot afford to be territorial or agenda-driven. We can't afford that. We cannot afford to focus on pet project over ministry needs. We've got to learn to trust. Hey, that means that if you're going to be a member of New Life Church, an active member, an active participant in this church, guess who you need to trust as your leader? Me. You need to trust me. You need to trust your deacons. Folks that have kids in the children's ministry, you need to be able to trust Chrissy and her team to handle that job. You see, when we start trusting each other and releasing everybody to do their work, to use their gifts and talents, just great things happen. And we start to get along and we build those relationships because quite honestly, relationships are built on trust. If Jesus can trust you to serve, you should be able to trust others to serve as well. Relationships build churches. Relationships build churches. It's that easy. It's that simple. Relationships build churches. Hey, New Life, what did Jesus do? Not only did he die for our sins, Jesus built relationships with people that lasted 
that were productive and accomplished the purpose for which he came to this world. If we are going to be a church that models the love and compassion and consistency of Jesus Christ, then we must be a church that desires to build relationships that are strong and lasting and effective for the kingdom of God. Relationships build churches. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you for the time that we've had to be here today in this church. God, thank you for your blessings. Lord, thank you for the way you've ministered to us. Thank you for the amazing worship time, God, the way it touched my heart personally. Lord, thank you for your word. God, I pray that you will continue to bless this church. Help us to grasp your, your purpose, God, your understanding. Let us know what it is that you have for us. And God, help us to build relationships within this body that go beyond this church and reach out to this community because that's what you want us to do. As we go from this place, God, may we honor you with our lives. May we be worshipers and ministers for you in this community. God bless us and bless this church. It's in your name we pray. Amen.